It said my mic was muted, but I didn't mute it. Hey, y'all. Welcome to this episode of Beauty Marquis Back on the Cracker. I'm Ashley Nicole. And I'm Paige Benjamin of Atomic Travels. And tonight we are honoring Pride Month, and we want to talk about how identifying as a member of the LGBTQIA spectrum affects your mental health. By doing this, we want to have an open and safe discussion that will highlight some of the misconceptions and how this impacts our community. Let's meet our panel and get to know more about them. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Dee. Um, pronoun she, her. I am a trans person, a black trans person here in America. Um, background, I work in technology. I have my own podcast, The Realness Effect Podcast. You can find that on all your streaming platforms. I used to have a YouTube channel, but um, took that down. I need to work back on that. But The Realness Effect Podcast is my podcast where I talk about intersections between um, this hetero world versus the queer world, the LGBT world. Um, any current issues, and just being a millennial here in America. So um, thanks for having me tonight. Hi, everybody. I'm Chris Walton. I am uh, openly gay black man here, um, born and raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I am currently the chairman of the Democratic Party of Milwaukee County. Nice. I don't have a nice. anything like that just yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome you both. We we definitely welcome you both, and thank you for jumping on the show. Um, today we want to talk about um, gay pride commemorates the Stonewall riots, which began in the early hours of June twenty eighth, nineteen sixty nine. After police raided the Stonewall inner inner bar in New York City's Greenwich Village neighborhood. As we are celebrating Pride Month, what does this month mean to you? And how has being a member of the spectrum affected your mental health? Oh, um, Pride Month, um, I just want to take the time to understand, for the viewers to understand that Pride Month isn't, you know, a festival parade. It's actually a protest. So the Stonewall, all of the riots that's happened in the 60s and 70s, that was actually a protest for just pretty much equal and human rights. Um, we named it Pride for short, um, but it's just um, showing the world that we're here and we survived. Um, and when I think about Pride, I think about survival. Um, I think about, especially being Black and LGBT, it's a double survival that we must take on. So um, the mental health of a lot of us are in question due to the fact of the systemic racism, poverty, drug abuse, anything, all of these things affect us really heavily because the foundation of family kind of gets shaken very early for us about acceptance. Um, a lot of people in the Black community we, you know, we have connections to the church and other religious figures where it is hard for the family to accept you. So if you kind of get ostracized at a young age, you don't have that foundation to lean on. So a lot of times your mental health is affected. And hopefully as we go into conversation tonight, we can get more in depth about some of those things that affect our community at large. But pride is a protest, but um, it's a beautiful thing. I'll see for me. I never really had a, I never really got a chance to really celebrate pride until I actually got into my first like real relationship. Um, I've known since I was 12 that I was gay, but I never really reacted or did anything about it because my parents were going through a divorce at the time. Mm 
And I'm like, they kind of really didn't need anything extra on top of all the things that they were going through. I felt I took it on myself that I'm going to just keep me in my lane and just keep it to myself. And I'll figure this out on my own because I don't want to get involved with, you know, interfere or whatever's going on over there. Let that stay over there. I'm going to stay over here and figure it out. So I didn't really come out until college. And so for me, um, Pride Month for me is really much so a it's a celebration of the community that I have the I'm lucky to have the opportunity to be a part of. You know, I'm I'm lucky to be a part of several communities that just, you know, we get a chance to celebrate these groups and they get, you know, we got Black History Month, we got Pride Month. I don't get to to get to be a part of that. And it's really for me, it is a month of awareness building. It is a month of really helping people get better understanding of what the community is about and what we're, where we are and moving forward, how we can want to continue to become part of it. And as far as me being on um, the how's it affected my mental health, you know, I think that it is one of those situations of, you know, I know a lot of people have struggled with their sexuality. I didn't really have any real struggles. I was very lucky the fact that my family very much so accepted me. My friends, my friends laughed at me because they were like, oh, really? That's that's what it is. We always kind of knew you. We always knew you, but you just finally told us. So thank you for finally accepting yourself. And we, we're we here. We don't really care. But <laughs> and it's just, you know, I've been very lucky to have this type of experience because I know many people who have not had this experience, people who have been thrown out of their homes, people who have been who've lost family and friends and job opportunities and all that kind of stuff. So I've, I've been very lucky, but I also think it is just just a strong-willed personality that didn't really give a lot of people much room to maneuver. Either it's me or take me or leave me. So I, I feel lucky. So let's stay on that for a second, right? Um, D as a um, openly trans and Chris as an openly gay man. Um, you know, these are some things that, like you said, there were some trials and tribulations. Um, you know, these are things that you knew of yourselves early on. But um, D, you know, did you struggle with um, not necessarily convincing your family, but letting them know, like, this is this is who I am. This is how I feel. Because that, you know, the whole idea of this is to kind of, and, and once again, we thank you both for jumping on. It's kind of tell your story in your journey, right? Um, from from the point of birth to where you are today, there is a struggle of getting people to acknowledge who the real you are, who the real you is, right? And so if you guys don't mind both kind of touching on that, you know, um, the reason we ask how did it impact your mental health is kind of, you know, leading up to where you guys are prideful or or proud to be who you are, what was that journey like? Because it couldn't have been easy, especially in even in today's society, it's still a, it's still a challenge. And and D, um, as you mentioned, it's a double whammy for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, when you transition or you do anything differently in your life, your family has to go with you on that transition also. And for me, growing up as a little queer child, um, th there was no closet for me. I always knew that I uh, associated with things that are feminine. Um, I didn't have a notion of that's for girls and that's for boys. I got taught that, like put that down, that's for girls. You pick this truck up, that's for boys. I'm like, why is it so different? 
you know, so I always had that questioning mentality. So, you know, um, even by appearance, I never appeared um, that masculine. I wasn't that rough, tumble little boy. There was just something about me that was just that stood out and that was inherently androgynous or queer. So from the time that I started school, I was getting questioned on, are you a boy or a girl? And it wasn't so much of me looking a certain way, because I'm pretty much probably in a plaid short set from the 90s with Ninja Turtles on them. It was the way that I acted. It was the way that I addressed myself. It was the way that I went about things that was turning people's, especially little boys like that looked like me. They was like, what are you? Because you don't act anything like me. So me growing up in rural North Carolina to family that's all in church. I grew up singing in the church and everything. Um, they didn't know how to raise a queer child. So I identified with that pretty early on. I said, okay, they don't know how to raise me. So I'm gonna have to start raising myself a little bit. You know, I'm gonna have to take more rant, um, reins over this childhood experience of mine if I want to survive it. So I, 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 I developed mechanisms. I, I was popular. I was smart. I knew how to warm a room. I knew how to tell a joke. I knew how to dance. I knew how to sing. There was nothing that you couldn't get past me because I wanted to fit in the space. And I wanted my queerness to be an undertone, but not the whole thing. And I saw people in that I went to school with where their queerness was just them. And those were the ones that were getting bullied and um, those were the one that those were the one that was dropping out of school or you found themselves in trouble because they weren't going to school. I made sure that if there were some popular kids, I was going to be one of them and I was going to be on the opposite end of the bullying. Like if that was going to happen. And that probably was due to me kind of getting my tough skin from home. I'm the baby. So I'm this special child and I'm the super baby. There's eight years between me and my brother. And then it goes on to 15 years at, of my older sister. So they pretty much put me through boot camp because they knew that I was going to have to face some things when I got out there without them that I was going to have to learn on my own. So, um, you know, that that's not it's. I had a great childhood, but do I think children should have to learn how to put on the armor and learn how to do all these things at such a young age? No, but that correlates into most my profession, like being able to speak and communicate and woman. It literally my life skill turned into my profession, my my skill of communication and getting around navig and navigating different situations to be safe turned into my profession. But um, yeah. Um, just just that little struggling, you're locked in your room and you just don't know what's going on. Like, I'm the only person that has to feel like this. No one to talk to. Everything on TV is cis-hetero, cis-hetero, um, well, straight. And um, my my family, my dad, my mama come from a two-parent home. They're, they're right there in the home. They're straight. My brothers and sisters, they're straight. I'm the weird one out. That's what I felt like. So it really wasn't until... Um, the internet came along where I found community and these in chat rooms and things like that. And then I went on to college where I found an actual community where I felt at home. So it took almost 18 years to or 19 almost to feel at home in my own skin. And so I, I, I appreciate you sharing that because one of our episodes um, earlier this season was it takes a village. 
right? Um, and there's a, a part of the conversation where we touched on the fact that um, our parents can't teach us past what they already know and what they understand. And it sounded like your experience is one that many have experienced where there's no village to provide the parents that level of support and guidance. And, you know, you mentioned something early on, uh, I, I believe Chris mentioned it early on that, you know, even in church, right. Um, that's one of the, you know, you're, you're raised in the South. So you're in church six to seven days a week. Right. <laughs> and I, I mess with the Southern people cause I know y'all in church all day, but, um, but y'all in church every day. And there's, there's somebody in the choir, there's somebody in the music side, there's somebody, you know, the usher board, like it's in the community, but it's something that's kind of swept away. Yeah. But if you're that great at what you do, we kind of supersede the thing that we kind of are shunning because we want to keep you, you know what I mean? Um, and it, it's crazy that it's like that, you know, but I mean, we, like I said earlier, you're in a double whammy. We just got somewhat accepted as being black in this country, let alone having to be part of the spectrum. And when we say spectrum is not meant as an insult, right? It's just yeah, no. a range yeah, within that organization, just to make sure that the audience understands that. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, you've, you've literally gone through it and quite honestly could, could write a book, right? To kind of help three parents volumes, understand. Three volumes. <laughs> I'm telling you, you know what I mean? Each decade, you know, reflects a child's, you know, pivotal points in the child's life, right? From the time that they can understand and comprehend and what people are saying to them to the time where they're developing into themselves to an adult. Yeah. Of which all of these things, you know, like you said, your life experiences and having to, you know, um, you know, big men are, are usually funny. Why? Because they're masking something. And, and, you had to mask something that people weren't accepting of you. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's good to see that that turned out um, in your favor. So I appreciate yeah. that and appreciate you sharing that. Um, Chris? You know, one thing that I've always noticed about just the community at large, we're high achievers because of that reason. We are the ones with four or five degrees, master's degrees, whatever you could think of, we've done it because it's like we are we are running full speed because you'll see us and you won't see us. I, for one, am a prime example of that. I was class president all four years, school president senior year, college Dems president, you name it. I, my, I had an interest in politics. So I was just easy to throw myself into this thing and just run and just do whatever I had to do, just run in many different directions. Even became prom king and just like, yeah, I'm here. I'm doing whatever you give me in, I'm going. And that's it. It is a way to hide in plain sight. I did. I know my experience was not. My experience wasn't that experience that a lot of people have had. I was cisgender male, six three, two hundred fifty pounds. So you know who was really going to challenge me in the first place? But it was a. It, nobody ever really bothered me. Plus, I wasn't. I was behind the Christmas presents. Nobody. Nobody knew, and then nobody would bother me or challenge me about it anyway. And so it just, I just fold when I came out of the closet, everybody was like, we always kind of figured, but who were we to say anything? And then, you know, me growing up, I grew up, I'm a city kid. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
we about an hour and a half north of Chicago. So we, it was just a, I was a city kid. I didn't really have, I didn't really grow up in a church like that. Um, and it's just whatever my family just wasn't, it was, my family just was not that way. Um, I'm sure that, you know, looking back, there were some moments where I was like, that probably was not the best thing for you to have said, considering you have a gay kid in the house, but you didn't also know you had a gay kid in the house. So how can you change how you would have said something if you don't even know you're saying something that would offend somebody? Um, and that, you know, but that also goes to maybe you should be a better person and probably not say something like that, but you also, you don't know. You don't know, you don't know. Mm-hmm. So, so I wanted to kind of touch on what you said, right? You were, so I've experienced the same with a friend of mine, right? Um, I met him freshman year of college. Um, he was clearly gay, right? To me. Um, but once again, it's not my job to tell him what he is. Um, throughout our entire college experience and then beyond, we all we kept friends. It wasn't anything that made him any less of a person. Um, when he finally came out, he actually wanted to come out personally to me. And my response to him was like, bro, I knew since freshman year. So with that scenario, right, is is there something that society may, because your family never, uh, uh, like, s- contrast to D's experience, right? Like, your family never was like, you know, stop being gay. Or, you know, th- that's the slur that was being used, right? Like, they weren't like, yo, bro, stop being gay. Stop doing that. Um, what kept you in the closet when... Your, your peoples accepted you for who you were regardless. It was honestly a fear because you don't, you just don't know what you don't know. I could have said, well, here I am. And they were like, well, there's the door. You can go that way. I, I'm afraid. It is a fear. You know, nobody wants to be, especially in your teenage years, nobody wants to be different. You want to fit into the crowd. You don't want to be seen because you don't know there's so many different feelings going on. This person looks like this and this person looks like that. It just isn't a environment where being different is accepted and wanted at that point. And it's, it's sad that that is how it is, but it's also, you know, people are dealing with puberty. Some people, puberty hits people differently. You got your own chemical, emotional imbalances. And then of course, you know, you have societal norms. You know, you have people saying, you have people, you know, at this time when I was uh, growing up and coming out, we had gay marriage bans going up all over the country. The first time I voted was actually against the gay marriage ban in Wisconsin. And it was like, they're saying, oh, gay people are this and they're doing that and they're doing this. And I'm like, I'm not, that's not me, but I don't necessarily want to be associated with that. And they're kind of taking things away from people and taking rights away from people. I don't want my rights taken away. So maybe I should be quiet. And mm-hmm. so it wasn't a in, in-house thing where like shut up and stay in the closet again. Cause that was just, that was my decision to be quiet considering my family's moment at that time. But I made the constant decision for my own safety or what I felt, what, would be best for me until I could get a better handle on, you know, is this really how I feel? Is this not really how I feel? Is it just 
is is this a phase? Is this any possible thing? I take it upon myself, which is probably way more than a teenager needs to take, take it on me and try to figure this out because I just don't want to, I don't want to step out on something and then fall through. Got it. So the other thing I want to, because we kind of touched on it a little bit and you did as well, was being in a household where slurs would be thrown out, right? Or statements would be thrown out, not realizing. But once again, unbeknownst to them, they don't know. And other members of the family aren't mentioning it, right? Um, how did it feel to hear the terms like gay as a slur, right? Um, you know, hey, bro, stop being gay. Like, as as showing emotion is to be gay, as being weak is to be gay. These are all the misconceptions of how that term has been slurred towards the community. So how, how did that make you feel coming up as a child, um, especially while you were trying to protect yourself from the community? Right. For me, it was very much, it, I was luckily I never grew up in a house where it was just like, out and outright just homophobic slurs or just came up. It was not something that would just pop up. Uh, it was more of a, why are you, you know, if you had a had a really rough day, you break down in tears, why are you crying like a little girl? Uh, oh, okay. Cause I'm sad. <laughs> I'm gonna cry anyway, I'm not gonna stop cause you just, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm just sad, this is, I'm having a day, leave, leave me alone, get out of my room. Um, you know, it's just, I, I think for me, I didn't have as much of an emotional reaction to a lot of things because I'm a very, I'm a very strong-willed person. I'm a very self-aware, self-determined person. So it's like, well, you can say whatever the hell you want to. I'm gonna do whatever I'm doing anyway, and there's nothing you can do about it. If you want to fight about it, we can. <laughs> but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop doing what I'm doing just to make you feel better. You, you can figure out your own life. This is me. Um, and so I just had a, I think most of the, anytime I would hear somebody like, oh, that's so gay or anything like that, would literally be in like the halls of high school. It would be in the halls. And even then it was like, well, they're not talking about me because they don't even know about me. So I'm just keep on walking. <laughs> so I just had a, I had a very good deflecting shield, I would say. So, so D, the question, I'm just going to read, reiterate the question. Yes, um, no problem. The term gay is used very loosely in the community, um, in society, um, as a slur. And a lot of times it's used when, you know, somebody may not be strong, if somebody, in, in Chris's example, crime for no reason, but there is a reason behind it. Um, how did hearing the word gay be used as a slur impact you growing up as a child? Um, I had to find out what that word was, um, first of all. So you hear it from other people and then you have to do your research. Like, oh, they think I kiss boys, you know? So, um, of course, back in the 90s, as I, when I was a child and going to elementary school, hearing that word was derogatory, like nobody wants to be gay. I don't think at the time gay was used as like, you do something stupid, it's gay. Gay was gay. You know, like they call you gay, you're gay. You, either, either you're a gay male or a gay female. Um, and it just kind of struck fear into you. It kind of hit the pit of your stomach because that was something that you questioned um, still, you know, like 
you don't know. Like there wasn't any resources. There weren't any post shows or um, all of the internet to um, provide you with the tools um, so that you could figure out some of your language around your sexuality and gender. So gay was just that thing that you did not want to hear. And it just kind of hit you like a ton of bricks every time that you, every time you heard it, you know, of course we heard other things also other than gay when they wanted to really dig deep. But, um, you know, I, I wasn't bullied in school. I always kept my head above water kind of thing, like as far as social hierarchy. Um, but you did hear those, you know, you did hear those terms. Yeah. So it sounds like you both gained social equity due to stature and due to personality. Um, did that kind of help you guys? So um, there's a question out here, and I, I think it's more for Chris, but I think this can hit for both of you. Like, you know, do you guys have advice for someone um, who's afraid to come out, right? Um, everyone's situation is different, right? Uh, clearly between Dee and Chris, your life experiences have been a little different in the sense of how you approach coming out to people, how you approach telling people who you really are. Um, are there any, any advice for you uh, that you would give? Advice I would give. I think the best thing that I've ever heard, and it's a, it's a phrase that has stuck with me since the first time I heard it in fourth grade, to thine own self be true. You, if you are afraid to come out, do what is best for you. If you are not sure if your family can handle it and you are unable to live on your own or you are not going away to school or you're about to come home from the summer and you have to figure all this out. If you don't feel you have a safe place to land, find a safe place to land. That's the best thing I can tell you to do. But do not lie to yourself. You know who you are. Accept who you are. That's the biggest thing that anybody can do. If you accept who you are, you will be fine. Be true to yourself. You don't have to lie about it. You can ex you accept you. And everybody else can figure out a line to either do the same or the line to go away. Yeah. Absolutely. D? Um... Coming out is so nuanced. Um, coming out for a white person looks different than it does for a black person. Um, you know, it seems like Chris and I come from, you know, some sort of privilege, but a lot of people do not have that luxury um, and have that support system or that community to come out in because what are they coming out to? you know, but any advice that I, you know, could give a person is that you want to know that that fear that you feel um, is, is unaccounted for because you haven't experienced it. You haven't given, given people in your life the opportunity to know the true you for you to fear anything. All you've heard was, you know, the, the derogatory things around being the LGBT community. But one thing that you should have done or should do as advice is to gauge people around you. 
because everyone should not get the privilege to hear your coming out story. Some some people is just going to be a rumor, but those you need to gauge mm-hmm. in order who you it's not a party. I don't know what ABC um um E network party and people are having cakes and balloons and everyone is dressing in rainbows. That's not the case for the most gay of black and the most discreet of black person. There's no cake and no balloons. There's nothing about it. It could come out in an outing. A lot of people get outed and then they have to come out. A lot of people get, you know, found messages. Now we have technology messages or phones and emails. They get found out like that. And sometimes it's just almost a mental health crisis that they must tell somebody. So out is, you know, coming out is such, so complex. But whatever you do, be yourself and make sure that you have a support. And some of the closest people that share blood with you may not be the support that you need. You have to go out in the community and make those connections to someone who aligns with you spiritually, mentally, and all of that, just like anything else, just like you're finding a, a partner to wed. Um, but but it's coming out, it's very personal. Um, and And just take your time, take your time, but be true to yourself. So I, I asked that question um, to kind of, uh, and I'm glad that, um, you know, the person asked it because it actually leads to my next query. Um, how do you think the media depicts um, the LGBTQI plus, IA plus community? Um, for example, shows like Pose, RuPaul's, Drag Race, All-Star, P-Valley, Yell Word, um, you know, Uh, these shows that are out there, how do you guys feel like, and I think there's a new one out um, for a Latino kid, um, you know, going through his experience as a child. Do you feel that the the media is properly depicting somewhat what the experience is like or what the journey is like, or do you guys feel like it's just the glamorization of some people's pains and suffering? Well, well, I'll go. Um, media. Media has a history of painting us as people of color in a negative aspect in the first place. So I can't trust media to tell my Black LGBT story. They didn't even get the Black part right, you know? Mm-hmm. So what they are, what they are doing is looking at you know, LGBT culture from a white lens and painting it black. I love Pose. Oh my God. Like I cried over almost every other episode, but that still was Disney World compared to the lives that a lot of us live. We got to see a a trans black, dark skinned trans black woman get murdered in the show. That is very true. We got to see, you know, some relationships and a ball where everyone's not associated with the ball, but it's great that we could open up the world to the ballroom culture, but that's not everyone's story because ballroom culture took place in big cities. If you come from New Bern, North Carolina, like I am, the ballroom might've been like a hall that someone had weddings in or something. That's the only ballroom that I knew of until I went to college. But I don't think the media is ready yet to hear honest stories from the Black LGBT community, especially Black trans women, and how 
we align so closely to the cis world um, and how entrenched that community kind of interplays, I don't think I've seen that yet. It's almost like your community's over here to yourself. This is the ecosystem. Y'all go to balls, y'all dress up, y'all die, y'all get married. It's not like that. We are, it, it, it's, it's one and the same. We're all black people. It's, we can't separate the salt from the stew a lot of the times. But, you know, Pose was a, a, a show that, you know, um, put something out there that was palatable, palatable to a lot of people. And I'm thankful for that. Um, RuPaul, that's a drag competition, you know, you can go to your local drag bar and, you know, get those wares. But um, like like documentaries like Paris is Burning, um, that's important. I think that's a documentary from the 1990s that shows the the early middle early years of ballroom culture. And it was kind of gritty. That's why I like it. That's why I attach to it because it was very gritty. Um, but we can't trust the media to paint our pictures. That's why LGBT creators have to take um, accountability and take hold and narrative of their story so we can tell it from our lens and not a gay white man's lens because they, lens because they have the money to make the show, to put it on FX, you know? So um, thank, I'm thankful for Pose, but we still haven't seen that gritty honesty yet. Even just Black stories, you know? but we haven't seen it yet. For me, I think the closest representation, I know my story will never get told because it's not nearly as exciting and probably can't air on FX a lot of times. Um, my story, the closest I've seen to me and my story on, to, on the media would probably be Issa's brother on Insecure. That would be it. Like It was just... Usually in the media, it is a skinny white gay guy who is just, everybody's all in love with him, or it is somebody else, or it, the experiences are never an experience that I've seen in my life. I have the, I, my, I just feel like my experience would be probably a gay black version of Roseanne, maybe. And I go to really, that ain't go sell because that's not, it's not as dramatic, it's not as uh, trauma. Um, I'm sure you can find some moments that might be dramatic or Trump or traumatic, but it's just, I'm just living my normal life. I don't really have a lot of, um, a lot of made for TV moments like that, so to speak. But I'm, I do like the fact that we're starting to see more LGBT characters and I, I love, I love Pose. I watched every single episode of Pose. I was usually live tweeting it, having a good time on Twitter about it. But it's just this for me. That story just—it's not a story that connects to me personally. I love a good TV show, and that's where I fell in with that show. But I—I I know my story isn't going to be the one that's told because it's kind of boring. Sounds like D, Ashley, and I, and Chris are going to have to executive produce our own show just to make sure that you know we get it done right. So Ashley, let's add that to the list. Foundation's gotta be producing our own. If it has to be a web, if it has to start as a web series, we we there. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I want to kind of move forward. Um, you guys mentioned um, you guys had two different experiences, and I know D's experience was more um, a struggle. I mean, Chris's experience was more of a struggle within. But what? 
can you guys talk about as it relates to um, being able to fight against our own communities for the freedoms to be yourselves, right? Like, what was that experience like for you all? Because it's one thing for you to accept who you are, but constantly um, having to, and to Dee's point, remind your family members, you've known me since I was a child, but this is who I am. Or is that not, not something that you guys have to deal with um, still? I had to deal with being the oldest in the family and being the, you know, the golden boy. Chris does everything. Chris can do this. He does that. He does this. He does no wrong. Oh, he's gay. Did not, we kind of figured, but did not see that coming. That's what was my situation. <laughs> you know, I remember when I came out to my mom and we were, me and my mom had a very, have had a very, open relationship we talk about everything and i told her i went and got tested and she was like oh oh okay you're you're having, you're having sex okay it's that one girl and i always knew it i can y'all always together and i was like yeah. and she and it what broke it down for was she goes i'm starting to wonder if you were gay now mind you here i am in mississippi 14 hours away from home and the phone goes silent and my mom again is like, Chris, huh? Are you gay? Well, and it just turns into a five-hour cry. She on the phone just crying five straight hours. I just trying to figure like, okay, I broke her. What do I do now? I don't really know. You know, what do I do? <laughs> and it just. It was a situation where we, we've had, I like to call them our very special episodes where we have a, a, a knowledgeable moment where we're learning about different things. Like I remember one time it was like, well, why don't you just, you ever been with a girl? I'm like, no, have you? And she was just like completely like, oh my God, I can't believe you would ask me this. Like, you just asked me the same question. And she's like, oh, well, I guess I did. Like, yeah, that's not okay. And we had a very special episode and we had a conversation and just like, okay, I, I understand now. Um, as for me, it's just a a situation of, you know, just the freedom to be yourself. You have to take that own, you have to take your freedom for yourself. Uh, I know my cousins tease me, <laughs> like, well, you're not the gay we, I'm not, I'm not a good gay. I've been told that many times. People don't expect me to be, the, the, I'm not the gay they expected. My cousin, one of the times, I, you know, I always wanted to get cousin. I'm like, we'd go shopping. He'd do my hair. I, I only call you to come do my lawn. I'm like, I'm sorry, my bad. I didn't know. I, I missed that class. I didn't know I was supposed to learn how to do hair. So a lot of, I just don't, I don't fit into the box of what people would expect. I like football. I um, th this is a good dress day for me. I have people who can definitely outdress me on a good day. I, it's just me. I've just always been the normal guy. And so I don't always fit into a lot of gay circles. And I'm also not a 135 pound, six foot guy. You know, I'm, I'm built like I'm from the Midwest. I got that NFL body. And so I don't really fit into that narrative of what gay would look like or be. Um, well, um, as it relates to my own people, um, 
relating to my own people has been the biggest struggle. And that's only because of proximity. My family's black. My friends are black. Both the, the university I went to were black. The church I attended was black. The men I date are black. So I can't say that I would have had a better experience somewhere else, but these are just my people. Um, so of course, with the stigmas around being black and being gay, um, you know, you got the the teachings of the Bible or whatever you believe in that says whatever about homosexuality. Um, you have now that I've come into my transness is that there's deception and trickery. You you know now it's like cis women are who a lot of times what my allies are now I'm having to kind of have a deeper level conversation with them because you know we you know we relate a lot you know and for a lot of people that's something that is new to them accepting trans women and cis women circles that's a whole another conversation so I'm now I'm having to navigate another circle um and like Chris um femininity is not Femininity looks pretty, but it's not that valued. So if you're not a pretty feminine, you're you're like the, the bottom of the totem pole. So what transness can do, well, transness is you can kind of match your femininity with a look. And hopefully it'll come out to, you know, the viewer's pleasure or your pleasure. But um but being feminine in a man's body is probably the most disgusting thing you can do to a lot of people. Um, and, and, and it just because it throws them off. Like you look like Chris, but you know, but you act like this woman I know from church that I used to go to. And it just causes this, this, this um, innate kind of feeling in people's inner, like this is wrong. This needs to be away from me because it's like throwing water on a computer for some people. But what I found is that it's crazy. But as the as much as I got into my transness, my life began to get a little easier with everybody around me. But that's because I have privilege in my trans space. I didn't have much privilege being a feminine boy. But now that I looked apart, it's palatable. I can pass here and go here and do whatever. I don't even know if my neighbors know if I'm trans or not. You know, that's always a question to me. I'm like, I speak to them every day. I don't know. You know what I mean? And so with that being said, now the question comes into is how am I going to accept you? I accept you as gay. You know, you were 19. You told me you had a boyfriend and all that. But now you're saying that you are a trans woman. Now, where does that fit? Like, because I, I had a son. But now you're saying you're a woman, a 30-something-year-old woman, and, and now you're looking this way. And, you know, men um, went from bullying you to approaching you or bullying you to going into your DM. So I have to be like, world stop. Like, I don't know what's going on, but it needs to slow down because I am still triggered from y'all bullying me. And now y'all want to, you know, kind of partner with me. I'm like... It, it, you know, it can get volatile or or just just this uh, this confusing complex. Um, but, you know, th th there is this thing that gay rubs off, trans rubs off, especially when they find out you're trans. 
Um, and and um, it's just this thing in the black community that we, you know, we, we are very hard on each other. We're very critical. We're close. We, there's not that many degrees of separation between black people here in America. So, you know, with that being said, it's like you have you represent the whole black community when you step out your door. So you're representing me like that. I take it personal because we're black and you're making you causing a stain or something, you know, and that's how you can see some black people say this homosexuality ish is white because it cannot be black. Like white people had to have bought it over on a Delta flight and put it in our communities because I cannot identify with you being that different and that bold and black. So, so you actually touched on something that was pretty interesting because you went through it really fast, right? Um, so you, you, you were the gay guy that Chris was assumed to be, right? And was being bullied, right? Well, not that, that people would assume if, if Chris came out, that's the type of gay he would be. And as you transitioned into, into your, your trans experience or your trans self, you were more accepted. Like, was that like a, from the moment you decide to go from, and, and I'm, I'm just trying to like grasp it, yeah. right? Um, was there like a, it was it like, all right, I'm dressing this way, I'm gonna look this way, this is how you're gonna accept me? Or was it like a gradual change for people to kind of shift from the bully to the, well, that looks like a woman, I think it's a woman, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna, well, well, you know, well, it, it's, it's I'm just well, trying to get right my brain around that, it. What happens is that I'm not masculine and performing in a feminine way. So I can have the privilege of passing as a cis hetero person. I can go to the stores, I can go on a bus, I can go on a plane, and no one's going to say, oh my God, that's Shaq in a wig, you know? Um, Chris likes to say his height, I'm 5'7", you know? So you know, it's not anything that's going to, and that's just my personal privilege because, you know, some people don't have that experience when they do transition. They're still who they, you know, they still have their height or whatever that connects them to madness. I just happen to have a different experience so that I could go under the radar um, more effectively. And it was surprising to me because my transition was like, oh my God, I, um, I want to be a woman today. You know, I, I woke up, somebody give me, give me, give me a bra, give me this, whatever. No, mine was that I grew more free within myself every year. So in college, I started playing around with clothing. Um, you know, we, I come from an area of skinny jeans and the V-neck shirts. It was really what I was trying to express what was going on inside with me on the outside. So even at my HBCU, I was known as that guy carried pocketbooks. And wears those thong flip-flops and growing his hair and has it pushed back because I was in these early mid-2000s, I was that person that was as close as the train as you was going to get. But I was just expressing being away from home, being able to buy my own clothes and dictating how I wanted to look that day. And that just continued because it made me feel free. 
And this is all the way to what you got into 2021 is this. Um, but it was a gradual, slow change of how to navigate what I can do, what I can't do. Um, oh, she called, they called me ma'am. Y'all, I really look like this. Like, literally, that was me. Like, I used to work at a hospital. And um, like I told you, I've always been androgynous and feminine looking. And I had a, a, a mustache at one point in time. And I was working at the hospital. And the lady was like, that doesn't bother you? This old lady, she was like, that doesn't. I was like, what? She was like, that. I was like, oh, my lineup. I go every week to the barbershop. She was like, okay. So another nurse went into the room. And she was like, why does that woman have a full mustache? And my nursing buddy came out. She was like, do you know she thinks you're a bearded woman? And I was like, <laughs> you know, like, I just, that was, I always tell that story because I was like, I what, did he line me up wrong or something? But people even saw the transness in me before I identified it. I just had to grow into what was pretty much called for me. Um, and now in 2021, I can be able to speak and I can be able to tell my journey so candidly because there's not one piece of my journey that I'm embarrassed of. I was a little boy. I was a teenage boy like you. I had, I went to the prom with the cheerleading captain, you know, and she's getting married next in August. I'll be there as me, as Dee, her, her old prom date. And cause I couldn't, I still connect with those people, those people, those girls, crowded around me and protected me because if it was left up to the males the black males in the community i don't know where i would be but those black women and black girls protected me on those playgrounds because they saw in me at five what i was going through and they said you're one of us come with me so i have nothing but utmost respect for black women and how they stand i would not be here if it wasn't for them but, you know, I know I get a little long-winded, but that's kind of, you know. Oh, no, you good. Because I think it's it's important because the passion of who you are and the pride in which you carry yourself, right? Um, yeah. it, 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 it radiates out of you. And there's, like, no, no question about where you are with who you are. And that's, yeah. that's the thing that we want people to see is that, you know, um, there's no one way to experience this, you know? And um, it's it's interesting to hear you use the term privilege. And um, I think the first time I heard privilege um, in combination with a minority group was with Charlemagne's book, Black Privilege, right? And it's interesting to see how um, you accepted and acknowledged that you did come from a privilege, privileged upbringing because of the things you were able to set up around you to chris's point um you know you guys had to work twice as hard had to show that you can do the work better than anybody else um and through that you've kind of built your own society of which hey look you can't be making us look bad you know what i mean um and um you you guys do it great and gracefully and, and and Chris out here being, you know, the next president of the United States, you know, out of Milwaukee and doing great things out there. So um, before we go over to the next segment, Chris, um, do you mind talking a little bit about your political career um, and kind of how that started? Because you mentioned voting against the same voting against the ban of the same sex 
um, laws. So if you don't mind talking about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was in third grade, I fell in love with politics. Uh, my third grade teacher introduced me to JFK. And I just knew after I read the children's biography of JFK, I was going to be JFK. I'm going to be president one day. I got, I, I didn't realize at that moment, you know, it took money and his family had money. My family, we're the walls, the shop, the Walmart, and the walls that own Walmart. I didn't catch that immediately, but I got it. You know, I'm like, I can do this, whatever. You know, if he can do it, I can do it. And so it just took off from there. I started working on my first campaign when I was 15. And I worked on I've worked on campaigns from city council level all the way up to shoot, Kerry, both Obamas, Clinton and Biden. And I have been just heavily involved in it, including right now being the chairman of the Democratic Party of Milwaukee County. And when I was elected, I was the I was elected as the youngest person to ever be in this position at age 29, uh, 28. And. I was the first black man since, well, in my lifetime to have been chair and the first openly gay person ever to be chair. And I didn't find this out until later on. We were doing more research. I'm the only, at that time, I don't know if I still am or not, but at that time I was the only openly gay black man that was a county chair in the whole country. So take that Atlanta. Milwaukee got it first. <laughs> uh, but it was a... It's been a honor. Even even when I went out of state and went to college in Mississippi, I became president of the College Dems down there and met met friends that I still to this day live with and know. Um, and I've been engaged on working on campaigns all across the country because these are the you know I'm fighting for the things that are important for me, and that is not just for me. It is for my communities that I represent. Um, going and working in New Hampshire, working in South Carolina, working in Mississippi and Colorado and Wisconsin. These are, you know, I'm fighting for candidates who are going to be doing the fights for me and getting the up close and personal idea of what it looks like to be out there doing it. And as a matter of fact, it eventually led me to run myself. I ran for the Wisconsin State Assembly in 2020 uh, and had a t had way more fun than I ever should have had for anybody running for office. But I, I had this experience. And if I had won, it'd be an even better experience, but I did not win, but I made it a fight that is probably, you know, considering who my opponent was, it shouldn't have been as close as it was. But I have continuously just continued doing exactly what I want to do. Every time I get down or I'm a little just distracted or something, I think about what would nine-year-old crispy thinking about where i am right now and like how would how did you even make it that far how have you met you you're not the first black president but you've worked for and met the first black president you've met the first black first lady you've been in the white house you've seen all of these things you had in your wildest dreams you've seen it and now you're working toward it and I, that's the thing that gets me up in the morning and gets me moving and one thing i must say about d i love how passionate she is I could, when she got the, when her hair got the bouncing back and forth, I was like, oh yeah, she in it now. She in the groove. She is wrong. <laughs> so I, lo I love, I think one of the things that also being a public speaker, I love seeing that passion. And I, I know when I, when I am into it, I am going. And so when I saw these, she was talking and next thing I know, I saw her hair go up that way. I said, oh, oh, she gone now. Ain't nothing to stop. She on the roll. So love it. Love it. And and it's and I'll reiterate what I said to D. You kind of built your own path, created your own level of privilege, 
um, you know, um, despite all of the obstacles um, that you had to deal with society-wise and internally. Um, and, and that is something that we all, you know, should aspire to do is because, you know, don't look at what people say we can't do. Look at what we can tell ourselves to do because, you know, once again, coming into this world, we're already expected to fail, all right? Um, and you both have a double thing on top of that being not part of the normal, quote unquote, normal society. You guys have to work twice as hard and indeed maybe three times as hard, black, trans, you know, and just just, just trying to make sure that your voice is out there, um, you know, on, on so many different levels. So um, I, I definitely salute you both for the hard work you guys have put in to kind of just represent yourselves and the community and look at fly at it. Look, that t-shirt look fly anyway. Don't don't let nobody tell you otherwise. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, man. Uh, it says Wisconsin. Let's take that off. Let's take that off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I um while we're I think this is a great time to kind of like go to the next question. And I also wanted to um point out um in one of the questions asked earlier, one of our where did it go? Candy said that her true advice for coming out is why? Because people don't have to come out, you're not in the closet, and never have been. So that leads us into our next segment. Um, so, okay, I can't multitask. I'm sorry. I didn't think that through. Okay, so um, coming out um, is, can be one of the most difficult parts of accepting who you are and who you love for some people. Um, while we can agree um, that this isn't this shouldn't be necessary i i for one would like to live in a society where nobody has to announce what it is that they they want or what it is that they're attracted to um is there a way that this experience can be less about what people think and more about celebrating your whole self for me you know coming out I know we would love to get to that, that enlightened moment of the world where we would be when we don't have to come out. But for me, coming out is pushing us toward that. Because now, when the next person comes along, the next Chris, who's nine years old and falling in love with politics, now I don't have to go look for JFK in the 60s. Because now I can see, oh, he's doing that right now. There's a black gay guy on TV. He's trying to, he's involved in politics. I can do it. And nobody has gotten in his, no, well, there are people in the way, but nobody is stopping him from continuing to move forward where he wants to be at. And that's, for me, that's what I see as going out. You're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it to help other people. So that in the future, when somebody else comes around, it's like, well, you know, you can't do that. That's not true. He did it. Why can't I do it? That's not true. She did it. Why can't I do it? And that is true. It's, it's, it's more so about visibility and being a resource for someone else. Like Chris stated, nine-year-old D needed, you know, me in 2021 to tell them that it was it will be okay. So coming out is just the depiction of my happiness with myself. So I do think it's important because um, since we don't have a lot of examples, especially in the Black community, you, you are 
taken up it's political to be lgbt in the black community or anywhere because it's weaponized you know so you are taking a political stance and you are taking you know some kind of radical approach to your life especially in the black community um and and um it has to be you know seen your family needs to see that there can be a educated well-mannered um you know in their right state of mind gay person in their family because tv tells them otherwise or you know them seeing a story you know such and such went to New York and disappeared. You know, there's so many stories like that in the South where someone goes to a big city and never comes home. And that's one thing I wanted to do when every when I came, thank goodness for Facebook, because I really didn't have to say much. I let my pictures and statuses talk for me a lot of the time. So that was great about our generation. Social media helped me do that. So I was putting things up and letting my family discuss it at the family table when I was in college. So then when I got there physically and, you know, came as I was, they had already kind of brainstormed why I wasn't there. And then we can have that conversation. But um, you just have to be visible. Like my family, at this point, I am the only open LGBT person in my entire family, the entire family. Now, numbers statistically, yeah, I don't know how true that is. But right now, today, I am the only one. So everyone looks at up to everyone that know me from kindergarten to college to job i am their poster child for how lgbt can turn out in the black community so i get phone calls i get dms can you talk to my child you know i told them i had a co-worker named d that was fabulous and looked good honey and all that like and they're trans too and they i've all i'm always in that seat so if i was closeted and in hiding who I was, I couldn't even be that for, you know, um, for someone, you know, and someone help someone family member because they knew me in college. You know, the reason why I'm on this live stream, hey Tisa, was because of Tisa. And I came out in a class that she was in, you know, and she sat behind me, we kiki kiki, but there was some presentation that happened and I came out up there in front of the class, you know, and that's how we connected what 11 years later we're i'm talking to you through tisa that saw me and was friends with me in that class i came out in so you know like um it, it's the visibility that matters I'm still muted. Did you do it? All these chiefs and no Indians. I'm muting myself. Is somebody? I'm not going to say any names. Page muted me back. Okay, so um, with that in mind, um, so I didn't know. I think that there's a lot that people don't know but i also think just like with um blackness and racism i don't think that anybody should be tasked with teaching these things but i didn't know until we were writing these questions that people still use the term down low i thought it was i thought it was updated upgraded um but do you think do y'all think that 
brothers on the down low or people that are like, what's the woman version? Like a beard? I don't, I don't know the terms, but I, I hope somebody can tell me the correct words. Do you think that the people who are like hiding um, have an impact on the community or the the opinions of the community on people that are in the spectrum? So I, I want to add to that, right? Um, it's it's more so around people who are in relationships in a cisgen relationship and are partaking in the other world, right? And the impacts that they have, not just in their cisgen relationships, but the other side of the relationship as well and the community. I know that that is literally a, it is like, it's like a genre now, you know, everybody wants the down low guy because he's straight and he's off, uh, mysterious and attractive, whatever. But there is, that is a group of, there are people who are on the low and it is, you know, it's not some glamorized event. It is literally somebody who has not been able to deal with their sexuality. They don't feel comfortable coming out. They don't feel, you know, they have a family, they have a wife, they have kids, and they're afraid they may lose them. And I, I get it. I truly understand. If you have people with nothing to lose are dangerous people. People with something to lose are making conscious decisions because they don't want to lose that. And so I get it. I would recommend for your own mental health, honestly, to accept who you are, be be true to yourself. But if this is what you feel is the most safe outcome for you, you have to do what is good for your safety. Um, but yeah, I it, it is they still that is still a a phrase that is still very much so in use. Um, it is just, you know, it's, it's sad that people have to, have to live that way, but I understand. Um, yeah, that is, that is a term that is still used. Um, I think what's getting successionalized in the media is NBA baller dates trans woman and got caught in a hotel room with the trans woman coming out, but did, and it, it moved away from the originating kind of um, the, the guy who wrote the book on the DL when they were, he was just dating men on men. But now since trans has gotten so much visibility, we forgot about DL men like men and just not trans women. So people have created this narrative that trans women are hold all the DL men in their back pocket, you know, like, Y'all know all the tea, you know, the talk around DL men because they like y'all. So tell me, girl, if my boyfriend is DL or do you think he's DL because he wore pink? Like, like anything like that. And um, DL is a, it is, it's supposed to be a secret and you never know who's DL until they want something from you. So there's no gaydar DLR thing that you can can, can kind of like, oh my God, he said this, he must like trans girls, you know, whatever. Until that person comes to me and say, hey, this isn't my life, but I think you're attractive and whatever. And, you know, nowadays I can talk them through the process and I have resources. Um, one of my friends runs a, his name is um, Chris Patterson on Facebook. He runs a organization for trans amorous men 
whom I've directed a couple of men over to his um, men like us tribe um, that they they build a community around these men. Some of them are open and out about their trans um, likeness of trans and some of them are still closeted in this private group and they can get the support to, you know, help them come out and help them be better partners to themselves and trans women or whoever they decide. But yeah, it's vilified, you know, that DL men spread disease, DL men lie to their wives, DL men are in the church, DL men use women as their beard, but they like other men. And, you know, and it's always so, so um, tabloid every time something is heard about a trans woman and a man. So now you look at trans women as some type of like national inquirer because we're going around trying to turn these men into sensationalized stories and that's not true because if I live my life visible and you don't, you have to find me. You have to find me because I'm the rainbow unicorn over here. You know, I don't know who you are. You married Sally down the street or go with um, Tasha up the road, but you came to find me because I am visible. Um, so it, 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 but we understand patriarchy, black you know, cis masculinity, toxic masculinity, um, the way in which black men have to be rough and tough and, and, and can't have any emotions or any variance among, from cis women. That's why we have the old culture. Then we have parents teaching their children, um, you know, violently don't like little boys. We've had, a, there was a story out in um, Atlanta that they cut gay in this little boy hair, shaved him, shaved his half his head and was punching him in his face or slap him in his face because he did something gay and they actually took that little boy out of the home because it caught wind on social media and this was just last week so we are beating this especially into our black males that don't ever bring anything home other than a cis woman and don't you be out here gaining or anything like that so it keeps them in the closet but we have to change that as a culture to be more inclusive and you know, honestly, for, for me, there but by the grace of God, dope man. I could have easily been that man and just tried to hide. I, it would not have worked, but I could have hid. I could. I, I never had a girlfriend because I didn't want a girl. But I didn't. You know, if I wanted to try and lie to myself or try to hold up some facade, I easily could have done it. I, I dabbled in that slightly <laughs> when, with Facebook because I always would make sure, oh, my one best friend who is, it was like my sister, she's with me. This is her in this picture with me. We're over here. We're doing this. That's the girl. My mom was like, oh, it's that, it's that one girl. And I'm like, hey, hey, hey. no, but people thought, you know, I gave the image that this is what, and this is what you would expect until I'm comfortable. And then, boom, here it is. Take it or leave it. So I, I, I'm I, happy that I was able to get out of my own way in that for me and live in my truth. But I know not everybody has that option. Okay. So on another note, when we have, I know that I'm trying to break myself from saying things like you don't look like or you don't act like 
yada, yada, yada. Um, so I know that um, in talking to friends and getting this, uh, putting the show together, um, there were some things they mentioned as far as like preferences or like just habits. And I wanted to ask you guys' opinion. Is it dangerous uh, for members of the LGBTQIA plus spectrum uh, community to perpetuate the negative stereotypes of the community? Like wanting bottoms or tops or the use of trade or any other slang that y'all use to refer to each other that we may overhear. And like, I just learned what these words meant like a week ago. So um, again, y'all may be more familiar with the words that you, that people may hear y'all saying, but do you think that is negative to uh, perpetuate those um, stereotypes within the community? Um, every, can you guys hear me clearly? See me clearly? Okay, great. So every community, especially a minority, is going to create their own safe spaces with their languages that's unique to them. Um, top, um, um terms like trade and, and, um, all of the little things that you hear from a saucy Santana or anything like that from, all the social media influences that, you know, a lot of that comes from the ballroom scene. And the, the reason why, you know, that is, is still being passed down as like tradition or, or um, something that we just do because it comes from a struggle. It comes from a time where the ballroom was the only way that I could look like a trans or a cis woman and not get killed, but I could do that at the ball and compete and see what other trans women or what other men who could like pass for straight men in a competition so that it was almost like practice for the real world so if i can get through and win my tens across the board which is another thing that people use all the time but it actually comes from trans com um ballroom competition if i can get my tens across the board down here with you guys i can go take the subway or the bus and I probably can live to get home at least because I've convinced you guys that I performed in a way that I can survive. So a lot of these terms are from survival and they're, they're cultural. Like we have our terms in the back black community and it just, it just interweaves each other. And it's a black thing. It's a black and brown thing. It's not just gay. We grew up in your house. So we heard our mothers and grandmothers and dads talk and we twisted it and took it to the ballroom. Like it's no like planet Mars that we grew up on. You know, I, I don't get that. Like, why don't y'all think we grew up with y'all? You know, like, why don't you think we experienced that too? Like what, how, you know, even I have to check, like I was there, like, you know, like, <laughs> I, you know, we were there, you know, and um, and we've always been here, you know, open or not, DL or not, trans or not, we've always been here. And the to to be black is such a commodity to be black in this society. It's almost like how they try to say queer is like, oh, that's gay because it's 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 a thing. It's a it's a pulse. Mm -hmm. It's a vibration. And to be black and gay is almost like a superpower. I get both of it. So I get to be greedy, you know, with those things, you know, and because it's just an Ella, it's just a, um, uh, a, a, a increased freedom that I can be when I'm a part of the LGBT community, that if I was just a cis hetero man, we have to stop right here. So, but me being in a freer space, I can 
explore. And that was my reasoning for being who I, I, I hated boxes. I didn't want to be put in a box. Um, I hated the binary as a child, even before I knew what binary was. Why can't I not do this? It's not harming you, you or you. I like it. But it's a no. Mm -hmm. It's a no for everybody in the room. You know what I mean? So, um, but what you're saying, but no, I think it's something that we should keep sacred in the gay community, our culture and our language. And we see it with all the, the celebrities carrying it on. So that's what language and, and, and culture does. It seeps into places where you never thought it was going to be. And that mm -hmm. just reminds me of how those girls in the ballrooms and those hot, sweaty ballrooms, that language that they code word. So the cis hetero people didn't know what they were talking about. It's just out in the open and it's beautiful and it flourishes. I, I'm good with that. I don't think that need anything else to add to it. Um, okay, so I did want to also touch back um, because you did mention um, it's kind of like that that training ground so that you can kind of have that extra layer of feeling comfortable going out and making it home um, safely on the subway or in the public transit. I know um, I know it happens a lot, but I kind of blocked it from my social media. But there was this video, I think it was last year, this um, lady was getting beat up on the... Um, just getting like jumped by like this gang of people. How does, um, how does, I know that you guys, you have to worry about your family and friends accepting you if you want to come out. You have to worry about your safety um, in different aspects of, okay, who's going to do this? But how does it, how do you deal with worrying about like, well, not even worried, even thinking about what happens if one day I'm in the wrong place or I'm just not paying attention or are you ever not paying attention and scared that something may happen? It is 2021 in America. I think we're all on a little bit on edge and looking over our shoulder because it may not just be because you are gay. It may not be just because you are black. It could, could be because just one white person had a rough day and now they decided to shoot up the whole damn neighborhood. We are literally all on pins and needles right now just because our things are going at this moment. Um, I've, I've been very lucky. I've been very blessed that I have never experienced that or felt threatened because of my sexuality. I'm sure that that is a fear. I, I know for a fact that is a fear that keeps my, my mother up at night that somebody would try and do something to you. Um, but that's also a fear that she would get from me being a black man in America. That's also a fear that a mother will have for a child, whether they are two or 32 or 72. And I just, I don't go through my day thinking about the what the worst case scenario of what could happen. If I spend all day considering what the worst case scenario is, I'm never leaving the house again. Can you hear me? Okay. And, and for me, it is complex because 
transitioning into a cis assuming person now elevates it now puts me in a category that women what women fear that god attacking you that rape that god trying to talk to you you turn them down or that god trying to talk to me and they find out i'm trans i didn't have those problems before um i pretty much lived as, as I grew older from a black kid to a black teen. And then that's when I kind of started getting into, you know, my transness and, and, and going towards that spectrum. Um, I was a college kid. I wasn't in trouble. I didn't get in trouble with the law, but I, if I stay on that track and continue to be a cis hetero male, I could have the fear of the police. I don't quite fear the police because they don't assume me to be this big black guy that everyone's scared of, but I do have uh, a, a over hypervigilance from men because of how I present. And that's something that I had to learn. Like, like, girl, you can't go and walk to the store. Like, you can't do that. You had one bad encounter with the guy that tried to follow you to your car. I've had people literally follow me home from the grocery store twice. And you know, did not know me from a sack of beans. And me and my gift of gab, always knowing what to say, um, I said, my family's on the inside. What are you doing? He was like, oh, your fam on the inside? I was like, yeah. He was like, I'm gone. Like, what you think was going to happen? Because you saw me in the grocery store and decided to follow me home. Had an incident. These are new things to me because I didn't grow up as a girl. I didn't get taught girl, you better do this, and girl, you better close your legs, and girl, you better not go here, and girl, girl, girl. I did not get taught. My family was like, I don't know. Hands off. You'll figure it out one day. I don't know. So I had to learn this in my 20s, what girls have to do in order to stay, stay safe. So now I have pepper spray on my keychain because of a bar incident that I had with a guy that was getting a little too aggressive, and a taser. I, I've had to learn these things you know, you don't want to be a damsel in distress, but you know, that's how society treats feminine bodies, you know, that they have control over your, your body because you owe them something since you have this body and you look like this. You owe me, give it to me. So I've had to get that dynamic in my head and, you know, and it's been, it's been a try, it's been trying, you know, and luckily, you know, I have a boyfriend and it does make me feel safer that I have a safe person that I can move around with. And, you know, people can see him coming in and out of my apartment and stuff like that. It does. He does offer a protection for me. Like most men do with women, they're supposed to offer protection, but you know, that's not ingrained in me. Like I can defend myself, but no, no, I can't, I can't fight all of that. You know what I mean? So um, I've had to switch that dynamic. So it's an unsafe world for feminine bodies out here. So I actually have a follow-up to that. Um, have you traveled internationally? And what has the reception been for you? And I mean, the travel guy in me wants to know, right? Um, is because because I've interviewed a lot of women on my show and I've heard some 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 really bad things while traveling as a woman. Um, but what has your been experience been because it's uh, still relevant to the conversation. Um, as far as traveling, I've traveled out of the country 
twice. So, well, one was a cruise and we stopped in the Bahamas and I was with some gay friends and they were black and gay. And we pretty much, I think the whole island knew that we were there per se. Like we were like their pride and, you know, people just gawking at us. And, you know, they, it was just like four gay guys on this island at one time, you know? But the second time I went out of the country, I went to the Dominican Republic. And um, outside of, I would say they were very, they're like passionate, touchy-feely people from what I experienced. And, you know, there's, with privilege, there comes a call. So if they're attracted to you, they're going to be around you all the time. And they're going to do things for you all the time, get drinks, I'm on a resort. And then they, you know, some of them come in for a hug. I'm with two other girls. No man is involved. So they peep that out, that there's no man at this resort with you, resort with you. So they'll come in for the hug. They'll say little, you know, sly things. And we went out to shop in the village or something. And I got offered to get married. He had every drug known to man. He offered me, um, you know, he wanted to take me off the resort on his motorcycle. All those little things like that. You know, um, you have to just, you know, politely, you can't say no, ill, who would ever, like, what, <laughs> if, what do you think I am? You have to talk to them nicely. You cannot be bruise their ego because you want to make it back to your resort. You want to make it back to your room, you know? So you you have to give them a little something. You have to give, we, I've learned to how to navigate as a woman to give men a little something to get away. Oh, you want my number? And you okay, I have this Google number you can have just to for you to get out of my space. And that's here in America. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't travel abroad a lot. So it's not a big, I'm not a big traveler, but here in the States, I know what I have to do here in North Carolina. So, you know, just to get away from that danger and, you know, never tell someone you like, you think I'm cute? You know, I'm trans, right? You know, I was born, you know, I was born a man. Like you, you can't do that. And I know there's a lot of conversation on like Clubhouse. You should disclose just as soon as they say, hey, what? No, I need to get to safety. I would get that if I was interested in you back, I would, the number I give you will work. <laughs> and we can go and say, hey, <laughs> I could say, you know, thanks. You know, that was nice. Whatever. I'm trans. I don't know if you didn't know or this is what you, you are in. You have to do that, but you have to do that away. But men get in their macho on, you know, spaces like a clubhouse or some type of discussion. They say, well, I want to know right then because I could have saved my time or whatever. But it's too dangerous. Yeah, it's too dangerous. I have not traveled out of the country recently. It's been, I was a kid last time I went out of the country. But I know that there are areas of the world that are just not that accepting of gay men, period. Uh, and particularly, you know, the Caribbean is one of the places that I would like to travel to. But I know that, you know, a Jamaica or a Dominican Republic or Haiti, the Bahamas, they may not necessarily be too excited to see me come through. Um, but I know I have that privilege where I pass very easily. And nobody would notice me. So I definitely I can see. You know, I, I, I'm, I don't think I would have a much of a problem. But I know that that is not everybody's. That's not everybody's story. So as a as you know, I'm putting my travel hat on, right? Um, from the travel perspective, um, 
you know, the perception has been different um, these last couple of years, mainly because it, it's one thing to be a native versus a tourist, right? As a tourist, um, a lot of these countries that you've mentioned, their primary concern is to protect the tourists by all means necessary because tourism pretty much funds the country. Um, and to your point, um, you know, you may not seem like what is the typical gay guy looking like, right? Um, D, you may not look like, nobody knows what you are unless you tell them who you are and what you are, you know what I mean? So um, a lot of times, um, I think we, pre and I, when I say we, like us as the minority groups, we project some of our fears and concerns when we're not as informed or aware. Um, and um, you'd be surprised how accepting a lot of places are, um, especially in today's date, primarily because, um, especially in 2021, um, money is green. People are green. As tourists, you look green, right? Um, the only thing that matters to them is that dollar. And um, every Ministry of Tourism's primary concern is your safety. So, um, you know, I, I say that to say one of the biggest things that I advocate for is that everyone experience travel, um, regardless of who you are and what your experience has been, because it expands your perspective, especially if you go to places like Thailand and South America and Central America. I mean, it's a lot more accepting than what our media makes it out to be, if that makes any sense, which is why it ties back to the question I asked earlier is, does the media help or go against your community? You know what I mean? Um, but I, I definitely appreciate everything you guys had to share. And I want to kind of lead us to the kind of final segment of this conversation, which is how do we expand this conversation, right? Um, I know you both are huge advocates. Um, I know you both are pas clearly passionate about what you do. Um, what can be done to progress the societal norms to continue the, to foster a more safe world, starting with the Black community for the LGBTQIA plus um, community? Like, what can we do to kind of make things a lot more normal, right? Um, I, you know, I, I think the most recent is probably the trans community is becoming accepting, right? Um, I'm not saying it's all the way there, it's becoming. Um, but what are some things that we can do? Because you don't know what you don't know. And this is kind of the platform for us to be able to kind of be like, all right, well, you know, what's what's the tea? What, what is it that we can do as a community to be more accepting? Just know that there are people, there are kids listening. And you may not be that person, but you may say something stupid. We've all said something stupid and we regret it immediately, especially when you say something and somebody's sitting there. Just be aware. You know, nobody's asking you to change your whole way of life. You don't have to change your political perspective. Just be aware. And that's the one of the big things I would say. Um, I would say you have to be 
a ally um, in spaces where you may not have any backup. Um, that, that could be in the beauty salon, that could be in the barbershop, um, that could be in the church. You know, church is a community. So we're just kind of leaving out and sweeping under the rug some of our members, those in the choir stand, those in the pulpit. We have to start having those open discussions so that it can go back to the dinner table. You know, it's the older generation who are not as aware as the younger generation about LGBT rights and culture. They weren't exposed to it. You know, I have older parents. I'm teaching them everything they know. She was definitely on point. Um, we'll see if she can jump on. But um, before she jumps back on, before she does that, um, Chris, do you think we can change the narrative of how the LGBTQ plus um, community is seen within our community? I definitely, definitely do believe so. You know, more and more every day, you know, it's been accepted. Uh, there, you know, being gay in the 1960s versus the 1970s versus the 80s versus 90s to now is a completely different situation. Now, of course, we will still have people who are stupid. We still have people who are stupid in many categories. You can name them. We could be here all night just naming all people who are stupid. But things are getting better. You know, things are getting better. And that's the thing that we have to accept, acknowledge, but continue to push forward. You know, it's not just the fact that, you know, we have people who we're still in the middle of this fight with HIV. We're still we still have to push to make sure people know that, you know, protect yourselves, use condoms, uh, get on prep if possible. And we still have to continue just making sure we're getting that information out and making spaces and organizations available so that, you know, young people who are coming up, they don't have to struggle like I had to struggle, like D had to struggle, that every day it gets a little bit better. Same thing with the black community, same thing with the LGBT community. We do a little bit better every time we go around that sun. And we're getting better and continuing making that progress. Because if we're not, then we have a problem. So D, I'll reiterate the question. Um, do you think, and, and um, we lost you right while you were in the thick of telling your amazing story. Um, did you want to finish what you were saying before you dropped or, cause I, I think we got the sentiment of what you were saying, but I wasn't sure if you wanted to finish up. Yeah, I don't know if you can hear me or see me clearly. I'm having some audio difficulties. Yep, you're good. You're good. Hello. Yeah, we can hear you. Can you hear me? But can you hear the feedback on your end? Because I hear it on my end a little bit. It's not too bad. Was it good? Okay. Um. But yeah, just just. 
just having those hard conversations um, in places where we may not be allowed, you know, um, like I said, the barbershop, the church, um, on pillow talk, you know, your kid, you know, I think I think we kind of lost her, but um, that's the magic of TV. Um, um, so what we really want to do is, um, oh, it looks like she's jumped on from another device. So let's, there you go. All right, D, we can hear you now. Okay, I don't know how to kill that other person, that my other oh, twin. We'll um, take care of that for you. I am so sorry about this North Carolina internet, but yeah, just, you know, those hard conversations in those places that we cannot access um, in your fraternities. we There's gay people in fraternities and sororities. Um, we're not quite allowed yet to be in those spaces. You know, um, clergy, church, um, your family, just having a normal conversation about, we. you have little Nas X, as controversial as he is, teens and children can relate to him and you can turn that around and have something positive come from that you know that he's an artist he's young he is out and gay but he's doing so much as positive other than the last video he made you know slide down the pole you know whatever but you know um you know that's that's you know to your taste or whatever but um and just be kind um kind to people you can see people differences sometimes they sometimes people wear it on their face their differences and sometimes they don't like mental health you cannot visibly see someone struggling with mental health so being kind to everyone puts them in a safe space as well as you so just put on your nice hat you know and um and 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 listen to them Listen, you'll find out their pronouns. You'll find out their name. You'll find out how they live once you are that effective listener, that active listener. You'll find all that out. You don't have to come with a battery of questions to the person and it's, and they're going to, you know, back away. It's like, oh, my God, Barbara, Barbara Walters at work, you know, like, you know, I'll just try to get my coffee. Now you want to ask about what's in my pants, you know? So, um, yeah, being nice goes a long way. You never know. As much as you say, I, what I have two, three, four strikes against me, maybe one day I just need you to smile and say hello. You know, how's your day? You know, something like that. And we all need that on this call in the community. Black, living in America, all of us need just kindness. So the follow up to that was how could we change a narrative from of you all in our community? Right. Um, you know, that's, that's, you know, I, I come to find out that our, our community is not as forgiving, right? Um, we're even harder on ourselves um, amongst our own. Uh, is there a way that, um, Chris talked to it, uh, to it a little bit earlier, but is there a way that we can work on changing the narrative of how our community see you all? I think we just have to, just like they said, kindness. Bring that kindness that you want to receive, bring that with you and give it out as well. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if you're expecting you're expecting people to treat you, you want treat people the way you want to be treated, and that's just the end all be all of it. Because if you want the smoke, you will get the smoke. <laughs> um, but yeah, he said it. Kindness, talking to us, we speak multi- many languages, and English happens to be the one I'm fluent in. So we can definitely have a conversation. Don't be afraid. Um, just like someone who lived in the 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 from another country may be afraid of black people because what they saw in the nightly news, carjacking, murders, gangs, I am definitely afraid. But if this person poses no threat to you in this moment, there should be no reason that you can't say, hello, how are you? And from there, you can build that relationship to get to know. And that's all it takes. It's one conversation at a time. There's no Megatron or... uh, billboard on I-85 that you're going to put up to make people change their minds about certain things is conversations like this, conversations that um, you all are having, conversations that I have with, um, you know, my friends and family members. I'm always educated. I have to understand that I'm going to be a re- educator for the rest of my life. I come from a, 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 a teaching family and I ran away from that profession, but look at me, I'm back. You know, I'm back to teach, you know, and, and that's just something that we as black people have to always have our education license, you know, um, um, up to date. Because there's always a time where we need to read the room and tell them what we stand for, and who we are and where we come from. Mm-hmm. OK, well, I, I, I love those pointers. Um, before we wrap up, I do want to um, just give you guys a chance. You, you give y'all a chance. I know you have your uh, podcast, D, and Chris, you're out here in these streets working for the United States. Let our guests know if they missed it earlier, where they can find you, what you have coming up, or any of that information. Yes, um, my podcast, The Realness Effect, um, with Marlo B, but it's can, it can be found on IG at The Realness Effect podcasts um, all spelled um, together. And um, with that, there's the link tree where you can find all of the content. Um, I have um, been on a hiatus and I am thankful for this live stream because you guys kind of dusted me off a little bit. The pandemic set me down. There are some life personal things that I went through, but you know, Tisa um, reached out to me. I'm like, dang, she remember I had a podcast. You know what I remember? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> she got me, but I'm so glad because this is truly something that I feel like I'm called to do. Um, and it has ignited, you know, that fire within me to get back to what I was doing, um, before, but you know, um, um, in the tech world, you know, you can connect with me on IG. Um, I do work in customer success. Um, and um, if we want to network around that, network around podcasting, um, I'm here in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. Um, and, you know, I'm all about live music, um, singing, dancing, supporting others, supporting my people. So um, just drop me a message in my DM and hopefully we can network. But thank you for having me um, on this amazing show. 
Um, definitely feel free to follow me on Twitter. Uh, my name below, Chris Walton, MKE. That's the quickest way to reach me, uh, Twitter. And I also have a Facebook page, uh, Chris Walton. And that's my page where I handle all my political stuff and Twitter is where I send my messages and all that stuff kind of out. I have my own I have my own friend page, but that that's my friend page. So I try to keep my own private, you know, try to have somewhat of a private life and be public at the same time. But please do feel free to follow me. I follow back if I have room. Um, and yeah, Chris Walton, MKE, please do feel free to follow me on Twitter. Well, I think uh, I'm thank you for having me. Thank you. I thank y'all so much for coming, sharing your perspective, teaching us a lot. I thank everyone that watched, um, whether you watch live or you're watching later um, on the YouTubes. Uh, feel free to go ahead and hit that subscribe button and hit the little bell notification so that I don't have to um, blow y'all's messages up every time we have a new episode. And thank y'all for joining us and we'll see y'all in a couple of weeks. As we sign off, we want to remind you that it's okay to not have your cheese on your cracker and that we're here to work towards getting there together.